Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about the real estate market and the people connected by it. We seek to empower our listeners to make informed decisions while providing context for the real estate world around them. We hope that with every episode, you become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Hey everyone, I'm Ryan Berlin, Rennie's Senior Economist and Vice President of Intelligence. And of course, I'm here today with uh, Ryan Wise, Market Intelligence Manager and Lead Analyst with the Rennie Intelligence Division. Hey, Ryan. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. A uh, bit of a different episode today. So normally you'd be listening to Justine Liu doing the intro to the podcast. But Justine, sadly for us, Justine is uh, moving on. Yes. She will not be part of the podcast anymore, which is too bad because now, well, at least for this episode, it's just the two Ryan's. So a couple of stats because that's what we... Oh, yeah, we, we have to. We have to. <laughs> We've been recording the Rennie podcast for three years, since 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so 54 episodes in total, and Justine has been the host for 37 of them, mm-hmm. uh, including 31 podcasts with the two Ryans. That's a lot of Ryans for yeah, Justine, yeah, yeah. and she so, always, she balanced us. Yeah, so please bear with us today. We're going to miss her, and we want to thank her for everything she did and brought to the podcast. Yeah, for sure. What's happening? Now it's just us. Yeah, it is uh, it is a change. So, we, you know, we, we banter constantly at the office and let's bring it into the podcast. And right, keep it natural. <laughs> yeah. You told me you were listening to an Alaxolotl podcast and all I know about them is that they are funny looking. I thought they were a nice, funny looking fish, but you, you have a lot more to tell me about that. Is they're that like right? a fish. I mean, they're amphibious. So okay. axolotls. I did not know that. They're sort of like the du jour pet, I think, um, or at least like animal, like how owls and sloths were popular and now it's okay. axolotls are getting... What part of the world do they live in? Mexico. They actually okay. only come... So I listened to this 45-minute podcast just about axolotls the other okay. day. And they just live in one part of the world. They live in one lake in Mexico in the wild. Hmm. That's it. And so they're, they're like salamanders okay. and they have a... It looks like they have a permanent smile on their face <laughs> and they have gills that stick out of their head. Amazing. And they're really cute looking and they have these four, they have a big tail like a salamander and then they have these yeah. four appendages which apparently don't really do a lot for them. But also you can also cut off their legs and their tails and they grow back perfectly without scar tissue and you can do it. Obviously you shouldn't uh, do it, but it has <laughs> been done. Creepy. It grows the they grow back without any scar tissue or any sign that they were ever cut off. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, I this was a very this episode of the Rainy Podcast is not about axolotls, but But it is um, sponsored by them. It is sponsored by axolotls. Uh let's talk about the market. Yeah, we so, probably should. We have a few things to talk about today. We'll kick things off by unpacking some of the ups and downs from the real estate market Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. here in Metro Vancouver from last month and also get people up to speed on where we're at, you know, halfway, two thirds of the way into September. Yep. Uh, We also want to talk about the Bank of Canada's September rate decision or non-decision. Yeah. And maybe where they might go in October. Yep. And then finally, we will talk about why sometimes not so good news can be good news. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's start with the housing market locally. What's going on? Um, Rye, pointed question. Sure. Was August an inflection point for Metro Vancouver's resale market? No. Okay, let's go on to the next. <laughs> okay, topic. well, yeah, check. Um, no, yeah, no, I don't think it was. Um, I think there were some interesting things that for sure happened last month, but I think it is 
a bit more of a continuation of some of the themes we talked about in kind of June and July. Um, we saw fewer buyers last month. So once again, sales counts were below that long run average. Interestingly, because last year, the second half of the year was so slow, sale counts were up in August versus last August, mm -hmm. quite a bit, 23% higher. 3,500 sales, um, but it's still 15% less than that long run average. So we're still seeing fewer buyers out there and not just that seasonal play, that sort of summer vacation slowdown. It's obviously a bit more than that. And we'll, we'll talk about the Bank of Canada mm -hmm. later, um, but definitely we're seeing that continuation of that slowdown, those June and July interest rate increases likely uh, having their impacts on, on buying activity. Uh, we're seeing more listings come along with that. So again, I think we talked about this last month, but inventory really stagnates in the summer. Um, and we're seeing, again, sort of a, a small increase in the number of listings coming to market. And we're seeing inventory pick up at a time when it really, really doesn't mm -hmm. typically. Um, and so inventory is still constrained, 16% below that long run average. Um, but as we get into September, we just this week passed that 16,000 threshold, which we hadn't been for more than a year. Do you, do you have that number handy? I think it was last June, maybe the yeah, last I think, time we were there. Yeah, it was over, it was over a year ago that we yeah, were last yeah. at that, that level. So like, you know, typically now we'd be well over 17,000 listings. So a long way to go. Um, but certainly we're seeing inventory creep up, expand homes sitting on the market longer than they typically would as there are fewer buyers and I don't know, similar number of sellers you might say. And so I think that's sort of playing into it. Um, but even with all of that, I think we, we've been talking about this, about this around the office quite a bit. Prices have been have really held up. We saw, you know, prices increasing through most of the year. Um, though we noted that uh, benchmark prices actually decreased month to month last month for the first time this year. Which is not a feature of the market I thought we would be talking about two thirds of the way through the year, given how much interest rates had increased big last year, beginning in March, and then through parts of the beginning of this year, and then again in the summer. It's it almost it defies on some level it defies logic, but also those prices are based on a reduced level of activity. Mm -hmm. So not mm -hmm. everything is transacting. I think it goes back to this idea too that you're still not selling if you don't have to. Agreed. Which has kind of been the theme or a feature of the market, I think, for a while. But then the the caveat to that or the corollary to that is that I do think at the margin, you're describing how inventory is changing, how new listings are up year over year by quite a bit, mm -hmm. by over 20%. Um, there are more people who are listing because they they do need to sell. Yeah, and I think it's, it's hard to quantify how many of those people are listing just for situational reasons versus because they have to, but it, it seems like at the margin, the way inventory is expanding, that there are some people who need to get out from under their current situation because the numbers don't work anymore. Um, one thing I thought was pretty interesting, we, so I just mentioned, you know, the first month to month price decrease. Uh, if we compare benchmark prices for each product type in the region to peak values last year, mm -hmm. condos are still, even after that decrease, 98% of peak. Condo prices have been so resilient. Yes, they didn't run up quite as high in 2021 and 2022, but to be 98% of peak, basically condo prices are back. Yeah, call it peak. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, for townhomes and detached homes, we're still 94% of peak, 92% of peak. Prices have 
almost recovered to peak values and rates are, you know, the highest they've been in decades. Right. So this is, this is where I feel like it's going to get interesting for values Mm -hmm. because now that we're seeing the demand side of the landscape soften a little bit, Mm -hmm. right. As we look at September, you know, we're, you know, two thirds of the way through now we're on pace for fewer than 3000 sales, which would be quite a big drop off from August. Um, and inventory is expanding. So that balance yeah. between supply and demand. And I would demand, add we're on pace for more than 8,000 new listings as well. Which would be, what, some context? So much higher than August and July uh, and 25% higher than last year. Yeah, so that's significant, right? So like clearly conditions are changing. The, yeah. The, yeah, so the, and it's, we've talked about the market being a bit of a game of chicken right now. Like there's no the advantage the power does not clearly lie with buyers or sellers right now mm-hmm. like we're more it's a way more balanced market but we're moving towards it being a, a bit more of a buyer's market just because we have more supply so i think i think when we look at that price trajectory because you said last month was the first time we had seen a yeah. decrease this yeah. year but we had been seeing the rate of increase month to month slow right yep so now the question is like we're we're pretty close to at least like let's say for condos we're really close to their all-time peak the peak from last year but like how long does it take to get back there yeah and i think we're going to see it stretch out it wouldn't surprise me given what we know about september month to date if we see another decrease in september yeah uh normal like typically yeah. we'd see an october bump right more sales mm-hmm. buyers are back in october we get that fall bump so we'll see what if that comes mm-hmm. or not and then if if so if a bunch more buyers kind of pile back into the market in october we'll see what that brings but then you know, November, December, those are typically slow months Very and good slow. years, you know, when, when rates are much lower, when people are looking to buy. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see this really sort of play out slowly. I don't expect to see a lot of big price decreases given our population growth, the number mm-hmm. of people, you know, our, our low, low unemployment rate, the number of people sort of waiting on the sidelines for a deal. But it wouldn't surprise me if, the, you know, that last two percent for condos yeah. or what have you actually takes you know six months to to get back those two percent for sure because a lot of i mean these higher interest rates if we want to pivot a little bit i mean these higher interest mm-hmm. rates are beginning to weigh on households are beginning to weigh on the housing market mm-hmm. and we'll talk in a bit they're beginning to weigh on the labor market as well well we've been alluding to the bank of canada we've mentioned you know the where rates are so we should probably talk about their announcement on September 6th to hold rates. Mm-hmm. We also just got new inflation data out this week. That's, you know, a second consecutive monthly increase. So, you know, the question I'm getting from everyone and I'd like to hear your answer on the topic is, is this the end? Where, where are we going? Or is this like, here we go again with inflation? What's going on? So, yeah, I mean, the latest inflation reading from last, actually earlier this week, uh, so mid-September inflation mm-hmm. reading, ugly, right? 4%. Yeah. Um, core measures are up. Um, a lot of it's on the back of gasoline prices more recently increasing, but then also as right pointed out many times at this time last year, we actually were experiencing deflation. So even if in this current environment, we, we had no inflationary pressure, we were still going to see that annual inflation rate tick up because of the math. And I think for that reason, we all expected an increase. We just didn't expect it to get all the way to 4%. Yeah. And it makes, uh, makes the, it it actually, it adds a lot of uncertainty to, um, you know, at least at this point to what the bank of Canada might do on October 25th, when Mm -hmm. they meet next to decide their next rate move. Uh, but just to sort of 
dial things back and and reflect on their September 6th decision, which was to hold the rate at Mm -hmm. uh, 5%, the overnight rate. It seemed like the right move uh, after a couple of quarter point increases over the summertime. The the more recent data on uh, the economy, so thinking gross domestic product and the labor market and looking at housing market changes across the country, was pointing to um, the effects of monetary policy, of the tightening of monetary policy over the past year and a half uh, working, actually having an effect. Like, mm-hmm. I really would have thought it would have had more of an effect earlier on. Uh, the labor market and our housing markets have been surprisingly resilient. Yep. But given how fast rates have come up and how much they've come up, you knew it was a matter of time before you start to see, you know, buckling is probably too strong of a word, but you start to see the impacts of that manifest in different ways yeah. in the economy. I, it's, it's worth noting, like we talk about it, taking 18 to 24 months for one interest rate increase to work its way through the economy. So we're at about 18 months from that very first increase last March. Absolutely. Point. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you look at where interest rates are now, um, and anybody who is taking on a mortgage or has taken on renewed a mortgage, let's say, for another five years, is still there's still consequences to these high rates yeah. many years down the line, not even you know beyond yeah. that and, eighteen to twenty four month all time those frame. Buyers during that record year of twenty twenty one that took a fixed rate mortgage are comfy till twenty twenty six. That's right. I am somebody who is going to there will be a reckoning yeah. in twenty at the end of twenty twenty five for me. So um, my hope is that the bank will significantly <laughs> yeah, drop rates I'd by then. Cons- <laughs> consider you personally. Yes, I'd like to. I will, I'd like to have a. A private discussion with TIFF. Yeah. Um, but listen, they acknowledged the bank uh, in making their uh, decision to hold rates uh, at, at 5% back in early September. Um, they know that inflation, this was before the, uh, the 4% inflation data point was released earlier this yeah. week. So at that point when they made their decision, inflation was at 3.3%. They admit there's more work to be done. Yeah. Um, you know, we're in a range now, we're in a, in a place now where there isn't an obvious pa- uh, path back to 2% in the same way that there was an obvious path from the peak of eight, 8.1% last July to where we are today. That one was a, a lot, that, that movement down was a lot more certain and yeah. expected. I think the path now is for the balance of the year to fluctuate in and around 4%, but not to overreact to that. For sure, yeah. for sure. Um, the bank is, you know, as much as so many of us would like to see lower interest rates, the Bank of Canada cares primarily about keeping prices, um, price increases um, mm-hmm. low and prices stable. So they are committed to the 2% target. Mm-hmm. And um, even if there are there there is collateral damage because of where interest rates are or where they might even go, mm-hmm. they, they could certainly go higher. Uh, always, we can't we can't totally discount that possibility. They they value two percent inflation above, you know, all the other consequences that might might emerge from or might be a consequence of their policy. Yeah, for um, sure. To a point, obviously, uh, you know, they they if the economy reacts very negatively to high interest rates at some point, it could lead to a deflationary um, environment. And so what they want is positive inflation between one and 3%. So you mentioned that they, there's still work to be done. And I think it's worth saying there's different ways of doing that work. It's They could raise rates further, but we're also at high enough rates that holding them is still putting more work. And we're so far above that sort of neutral rate that they want to end up at 
down the road, um, that mm-hmm. holding that policy rate at 5% for longer is still putting that work in and is still working to slow the economy down. Absolutely. I mean, it's squeezing out spending. We're seeing we're seeing per capita retail spending decline. We saw yeah. um, quarter two GDP for Canada as a whole. Um, it was uh, GDP change was actually negative. Yeah. And it takes so long for that data to come out. So we just got Q2 and it'll be you know, two and a half months before we get Q3. Q3 is almost over now, um, but we could very well be in a recession right now. We could be. So, I mean, it's clear that at a high level, the economy is being impacted. Um, And I think one of the ways that we're seeing that is in our labor market. I think we're really starting to see it across the board. I think, yeah, and I think that's really important. We should spend some more time on that because that's sort of the not so good news being good news and kind of a a mixed bag of things. So we're at a 5.5% unemployment rate nationally today, which is historically quite low. And that sounds like good news, but to the Bank of Canada, that robust labor market is not necessarily good news. But the flip side is uh, things are starting to change and that would normally be seen as bad news. But I think you probably have a lot you wanna say on that as being, you know, not so bad news. For sure. I mean, this is you, (laughs) if you're the Bank of Canada and you're increasing interest rates because you want to bring inflation down, you want to see an impact on the job market. Mm -hmm. And this is where the perversion of being a central banker or even an analyst in this space comes into play because a deterioration in the labor market is a positive sign, right? So, but what we're saying really is with an increasing unemployment rate, we're likely also seeing an increase in unemployment. And when it gets down to the human level, it's a different conversation. Um, But here we're talking about, at the very high level, some small changes to the unemployment rate, but in the direction of softening, responding to that higher interest rate environment. Employment is slowing Mm -hmm. uh, over the past four months, uh, nationally grown by 0.4% versus um, three times that in the previous four-month period. Yep. That's a big deceleration in employment growth. The number of unemployed people uh, is up 11% over the past four months versus 1% up the prior four months. Mm -hmm. Um, As you said, the unemployment rate is up quite a bit. The job change rate, something we've been looking at recently. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so it's one that, that StatsCan doesn't regularly publish, um, but they've started putting talking about it uh, with as part of their labor force survey. So the job change rate is the proportion of employed people with a tenure of one month or less in their current job who are also employed last month. So effectively, people who change jobs between last month and this month, so not including people who are unemployed, people who kind of took some time off right. to, to figure it out, took a little sabbatical. So these are just people who've changed jobs from last month to this month. And that number is always really quite low. Less than 1% mm-hmm. of workers mm-hmm. changed jobs. Um, and if you go back pre-pandemic, it was 0.7% was sort of the average job changing. And it picked up a little bit in 2021 and 2022 during the so-called great resignation. But it wasn't huge. No. And I think that ends up being overstated. I think yeah. the number of of job changing that was going on there was uh we you know we all knew someone anecdotally that that changed jobs during that time so it felt like a lot and there was a lot of change just happening out in the world but it actually wasn't that much anyway it's down the last couple of months it's 0.4 percent so 
you know, not much more than half of that long run average. So mm -hmm. you can see clearly it's been a big drop the last few months. People are starting to hunker down uh, as we're talking about. They, they don't want to be the new person at a job in case layoffs come. They're really sort of staying somewhere safe, comfortable, and sort of weathering out what I think a lot of people are expecting to be tougher times ahead. So we might call this period the great hunkering. I think we're working on that, yeah. That was We have to credit our colleague, Dana Samus, who yeah, actually came up that. with that. It's a great term. We love it. But yeah, I mean, that all of that points to a softening labor market. Uh, the number of uh, EI, employment insurance mm -hmm. be beneficiaries, looking at regular benefits and so not considering sick leave or mat leaves, that, that's gone up uh, more recently. And the number of job vacancies, which mm. had been at a record high, you know, six months ago has started to, has has since then been coming down and down and down, both yeah. as a percentage of all jobs and in number, which is a good thing because it's sort of like a victimless change, yeah, right? right? Instead of laying someone off, we just hire one less new person. Right, yeah. right. So, and we, we had sort of pointed to that as being a way that we could, in theory, as an economy, achieve this so-called soft landing in the face of higher interest rates. Because rates were being hiked so quickly against the backdrop of what were record job vacancies. So in other words, the appetite of employers to hire was huge, mm -hmm. historically huge. So if there was a way for those rates to sort of pinch that desire a little bit to hire, then maybe it would have less of, of an effect on people that were already employed. And, and honestly, to date, that is what we've seen. And we're optimistic that we can continue as the labor market evolves uh, continue seeing the number of job vacancies come down. Yeah, and I think there's a, a separate topic of discussion where they're still a bit elevated, but particularly in key sectors and uh, construction is one that we talk a lot about around the office where um, vacancies are much higher in the construction sector and it's impacting our ability to deliver housing supply. Um, you know, we can sort of dive a little deeper another day, but that's something that I think there's still a sort of a mismatch of, of jobs and skill sets out there that hopefully we can address down the road. Absolutely. Okay. Before we wrap things up here, mm -hmm. um, we were on the topic of the Bank of Canada and, in, and, and their September 6th decision. We mentioned they're getting together at the end of October. Yeah. The 25th. What do you think they will do? So, Okay, quick uh, list of caveats. Um, <laughs> there is a bunch of data releases between now and then that they're going to be watching closely and we are going to be watching closely. We have another labor force survey the first week of October. We have another inflation reading shortly before they make their announcement. I still think they're going to hold next time. I think what we're seeing in the labor market is showing enough with GDP, with uh, retail spending. And I think they know enough about base year effects on inflation. Hopefully we get a decent September inflation reading. We'll see. Um, but all of it, I think, points to the odds tipping in favor of a hold versus an increase. Um, yeah, I agree with your yeah, I agree with your take. Um, and, um, I, you know, I do think that the um, the October reading on inflation could go a long way to in, to tipping the scales because I, I think that if, if we're at 4% now and if it happens to go up again, it really gives them a lot of cover to increase rates. Like it's, you know, everyone, cause everyone's going to look at it and go, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Cause there's, you know, for the past like six months, everyone's saying, guys, what are you doing? Like, this is too much. It's almost, it's almost as, as if like the credibility of the bank and their, their, their process for decision-making is coming into question. Right. Yeah. But that one, sure. Listen, if inflation, 
that'd be three straight months of increases way outside the range of one to 3%, which is their target. So I think a lot will hinge on that, yeah. but you know, everything else, it's hard to see the labor market and housing markets evolve in such a way that they pointed to, they, they created more inflationary mm-hmm. pressure. Yeah, that's a good point. I think we're going to see more softening from the labor force. I think we're going to see another month of price declines in the housing market. I think that's a, almost a given. Yeah. All right. So one last thing, um, you know, we started off by talking about the actual housing market and what's going on, but we talk a lot about things impacting the housing market, like uh, interest rates and the labor market, how that comes into play. Our semi-annual report, the Rennie Landscape, um, that comes out in the spring and the fall, uh, will be published very soon. Uh, so it'll be available uh, on rennie.com slash intelligence in the middle of October. And so that report details the myriad factors that directly and indirectly influence housing market activity here in Metro Vancouver. We will also have uh, this time around and in future um, additions for uh, Victoria on Vancouver Island and Kelowna mm-hmm. in the interior. So keep an eye out for that. And our next episode of the podcast will be all about what's in the rainy landscape. There you go. All right. So just to review on today's uh, Rennie podcast episode, we explored the latest resale housing market data for Metro Vancouver, uh, which certainly points to a market moving towards more balance. Mm -hmm. We shared some thoughts on the Bank of Canada's recent rate hold and what we need to keep our eye on in the coming month and months. Uh, And then we summarized some recent changes in Canada's labor market, which seems to finally be responding to higher borrowing costs. And it may signal... Uh, eventually to the bank that um, they can think about cutting rates at some point in the near future. So we'll see when that time comes. (laughs) That wraps up this episode. To dig deeper into the data, be sure to check out our latest Rennie review and other intelligence information on rennie.com slash intelligence. And to be the first to receive this information straight to your inbox, register for intelligence updates. Rye. It's been a slice. Yeah. Um, been fun. We talked about the real estate market and we talked about axolotls. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to need to look up uh, more on these. I'm curious. Your kids will love them. Yeah. I'm All not right. bringing one home though. Well, so if you do, apparently they live longer in captivity than in the wild. So you can expect to have them for up to 25 years. Yeah, I'm definitely not bringing one home. Definitely. Though. They'll be away, married, <laughs> yeah. living somewhere else. You'll still have the axolotl. <laughs> no, thanks. Thanks, Ray. Oh, thanks. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production and is recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil nations. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, all resources mentioned in the episode can be found on rennie.com. Mm-hmm.